everyone, and welcome to Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Janssens. Our guest today is Ashwin Kumar, the head of startups for banking as a service at Stripe. Ashwin is the former CEO and co-founder of Y Combinator-backed Sway Finance, and now helps Stripe's customers to use their banking as a service APIs to embed financial products. Prior to joining Stripe in 2021, Ashwin was a data scientist for YC's startup school, a product manager and machine learning engineer at Mythic, and a software engineer at Autopilot. In today's episode, we talk about topics such as why calling your company the Uber for X can backfire, how Ashwin won 30 hackathons in a row by working backwards from the pitch, how Stripe is creating the infrastructure for companies to provide embedded finance, Ashwin's love of stand-up comedy, and much, much more. Hi, Ashwin, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. Uh, where are you calling in from today? Hey, Andrew. Uh, thanks for having me. Super happy to be here. I'm actually in New York City. We're really happy to have you on the podcast. Um, I'd love to hear a brief overview of your career to date, just for our listeners, and how you came to be in FinTech. For sure, yeah. So I'll start with right now and then start going backwards. So I actually now lead the banking as a service team for startups at Stripe, uh, which is very closely associated with funding the best FinTech founders and, and helping them get on Stripe and get started. Uh, I started my career though in investment banking, and I know a lot of your listeners might be in that or, or thinking about that now. I started on Wall Street, did investment banking for a few years as an analyst, uh, for various reasons felt that I wanted to get a bit closer to the product and started learning how to code on my own, did a coding bootcamp, and became a software engineer. After about a year of that, naively thought, hey, I'm ready to start a company now. Uh, I can build my own product. And so I uh, kind of quit my job, started a startup, a fintech company uh, that went through Y Combinator. The company itself didn't work out for various reasons, but I worked for Y Combinator afterwards on their admissions team uh, and their data science team, and eventually found my way to Stripe, where it all comes together, where I'm doing fintech, I'm helping fintech founders get started uh, and using Stripe's infrastructure to do it. Fantastic. And we'll definitely talk about your time at uh, through Y Combinator and Stripe at length in this interview, I'm sure. But I'd love to dig in a little bit on that thing about investment banking, because I think you've said elsewhere, you started investment banking because you didn't know exactly what you wanted to do. So for some of our listeners, like, do you think that that start in banking and IB is still a worthwhile path for someone who might be interested in the world of fintech? Absolutely. And I actually think it's underappreciated how important and how useful it is to work in traditional financial services uh, to really get a lay of the land of what you want to build in fintech and what are the gaps, right? So yes, I didn't know exactly what I would do out of college. I studied finance, I uh, studied accounting, investment banking was high on the list of you know very uh, attractive careers that were out there. Didn't know what I actually took to be there, uh, but started there. And in hindsight, that really laid the foundation for an understanding of how financial services work, uh, how businesses work, right? I worked in M&A uh, and uh, helped companies IPO. And so I had a very good sense of looking at the inner workings of a company. Uh, and that is exceptionally important, not only for starting a company, but also if you're in FinTech to know, to know where the gaps are that you want to solve for. You've also talked about, I think elsewhere, about your decision to join a coding bootcamp. I've talked to many people who've considered it and not made the leap. So for listeners who could be considering this path, I'd love to hear kind of how that decision-making process was and you know, maybe how your colleagues reacted when you said, I'm quitting, I'm going to a coding bootcamp. Oh yeah, that's a great question. So this is in 2014 uh, and I was working at Sony Pictures actually as, as a corporate development um, associate. And I, I thought to myself, I really want to be closer to the product, right? I was on Wall Street. In Wall Street, I, I kind of understood the economy runs on these tools and rails that anyone can access. 
uh, that not everybody can access. And so I thought, well, if I could help create that for other companies, that'd be amazing. Uh, so I wanted to start a company. If I wanted to start a tech company, though, I felt like I needed to learn how to code. Uh, otherwise, I would be pretty dependent uh, on getting technical founders to even get a prototype out. At the time, these boot camps were starting up, uh, and I went through Dev Bootcamp, which uh, promised that in nine weeks you could be a web developer. And to my surprise, it actually worked. Uh, and I, I went through it for nine weeks. I'd also been coding on and off since high school on my own, and so I'm pretty passionate about it. Got through the boot camp and became an engineer. When I told my boss at Sony, hey, I'm actually going to leave right now and do this crazy thing called a coding boot camp, uh, they were a little bit skeptical of what this was they thought maybe i was maybe i got tricked into doing this uh but in hindsight yeah it was one of the most important experiences informative experiences uh, of my life it really taught me that i could be a producer now like i could create something uh, and not just be a consumer uh, and that was that was the basis of starting a company and that read you know perhaps in a roundabout way or maybe not so roundabout way um into y combinator and i'd love to hear you know We've had many guests who go through Y Combinator. They, they all speak very highly of the program. Um, I'd love to hear kind of about what that experience was like, how you ended up building Sway, and perhaps kind of thinking about that, how it's informed what you've done since Y Combinator. Yeah, for sure. So like I said, I quit my web developer job to take a leap. I didn't have an idea. Uh, I just knew I wanted to be in fintech because of what I had done in the past. I found my co-founder uh, and we started iterating a lot of uh, different ideas, right? We hadn't gotten into YC yet. We applied three times and got in on the third time. That's a very common thing with YC. So we knew we wanted to be in FinTech and we wanted to solve problems for businesses and democratize access to things that originally enterprises had. And so what Sway was, is I studied accounting, as I said, and kind of noticed that bookkeeping and accounting for small businesses was just not really being solved, especially for modern tech companies, like SaaS businesses uh, that were starting up around me in Silicon Valley. They didn't have a really good solution. Uh, so we realized that with some integration work and with some uh, fintech involved that we could create that. And so we created a bookkeeping startup. Uh, we were using machine learning to do a lot of the categorization, but you can see it kind of marries together my the financial, uh, the investment banking start, my education, and uh, these new tech tools to get started. And then for Y Combinator, yeah. So we applied to YC. YC is this. Uh, I'm sure your listeners might know about it, but YC is an investor uh, accelerator and they accept hundreds of companies in a batch at a time. We applied three times, got in on the third time, and it completely changed uh, the trajectory. Before that, we were working on the startup, thought we had a great idea, talking to customers, uh, kind of stumbling around, honestly, to figure out what does it mean? How do you actually start a company and how do you create a product? And YC taught us all of that. So in the 12 week program, they kind of whipped us into shape and, and really talked about what is the minimum viable product? How do you fundraise? How do you think about hiring? Uh, effectively made us into entrepreneurs. Uh, before we had an idea and a passion and YC made it into a business and really taught us how to do that. And I, I think of YC as a, a version of a business school where you're going through that in three months and the case that you're working on the whole time is your actual company. Uh, and so it's a very applied business school is how I would call YC. You've got on record to say, calling your company the Uber for X can backfire really easily. Uh, and I'd love to hear you elaborate on that, especially in the context of kind of starting a company, YC, where I think a lot of companies end up being named, you know, X for Y. Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely true. So I have this uh, a blog around pitching. I'm really passionate about helping founders pitch. I think it's underappreciated and really important. So one of the things that I've always seen from founders that I help is, 
they tend to call themselves the X for Y. So Uber for X, or nowadays I hear Stripe for X, uh, or Stripe for Y, sorry, uh, very often, right? And that is a very good shorthand way of describing your company if it works, if the analogy works, because a massive issue that most entrepreneurs, first-time founders have is not being able to explain their business in a very concise way that anyone could understand, right? So saying that you are the Uber for dog walkers would imply a few things. I can imagine what that might be. I can I can book a, a walker through your app. It's a marketplace. I can do everything through the phone. Uh, where it can where it can backfire is mostly when you say X for Y. If the X can mean a lot of things. So for example, I get Stripe for Y. As I said, what does that mean? I'm the Stripe for whatever debt. Uh, does that mean you are an easy to use API? You know, folks associate that with Stripe. Does it mean you're a developer first? That's your user base. Does it mean you're abstracting away complexity, uh, which is one of the, the themes that people refer to Stripe for. It can mean a lot of different things. And so it's really important that you hone in on the second sentence. It has to be, for the Stripe for why, here's what that means. Uh, and I think it's that's the way I would advise founders to, to work on this. The other issue also, by the way, with, the, with that vernacular of the analogy is that you really don't, you then end up doing actions that go towards becoming the X for Y. Uh, and you start to sometimes lose sight of your actual customers, right? If you're saying you're the Uber for dog walkers, it's very tempting then to go see exactly what Uber's business model was like, what are the steps that they took strategy wise, and then do those exact things, because you want to live up to that. But you really as a founder have to focus on your customers and in your domain, it may be very different, right? So you don't want to tie yourself too much to that analogy. And on the topic of pitching and and that whole uh, that whole world, I, I have to ask about the hackathons because uh, you are fairly legendary for hackathons in the sense that I know you've competed in hundreds of hackathons. I think you went on to win a stretch of thirty in a row at one point, as well as a, a plentiful prize money. And it's it's really interesting because having heard you talk, you you have what I would consider kind of a top down method of working back from the pitch. So I'd love to hear broadly about the hackathon journey and then kind of not to cheapen it, but your formula for winning a hackathon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the hackathons, right? So if people don't know, hackathons are these coding competitions. It's a hacking marathon. It's what a hackathon is. And they take place over a weekend. So within 24 hours, you get there Saturday, start coding. And then on Sunday, you have to pitch whatever you made, uh, an app with, uh, that he actually built. Now you sleep deprived, you're delirious, and uh, a lot of Red Bull and coffee uh, that keeps you up during the whole time. So those are what hackathons are. I found out about them because when we were starting our company, my co-founder and I, before we got into YC, we kind of realized we could go win prize money to fund our startup because we hadn't had funding yet. And so we were going around the world winning hackathons in order to fund our company uh, before we got into YC. And so we had to get very good at pitching uh, because winning or losing determined whether you're eating ramen or, or uh, you know, other food, right? So it was it was kind of, uh, I wouldn't say life or death, but it, it was put a lot of pressure on it. So I, the top down method, right? So what's something I learned during hackathons, I came from a business background and started and then became an engineer. And in business, you, you have to understand what the value proposition is of whatever you're building. You need to understand your customers. How do you pitch it? How do you market it? What's the uh, pricing that you would use on it, right? And I found that most of the other folks that were at the hackathons were very technical. They were computer science majors and had really amazing technical work, but the pitch is what wins the hackathon. That three minute pitch when you're sleep deprived is actually what will win or lose uh, the hackathon. And so I kind of noticed, hey, the pitch is the only thing that matters. I'm just going to write the pitch as the first step 
before I build anything. And then once the pitch is in good shape and I feel it's compelling, then build whatever I have in the pitch. And so I worked backwards. It allowed me to focus on what I'm building. Uh, it allowed me obviously to have the pitch in hand before uh, we're sleep deprived and having to, to come up with it last minute. And so that was kind of my secret. And I've shared that with a lot of people. Uh, I don't know to what success they've used it at, but I'm very open about that, that starting backwards is a great, great tactic. On that note, I think you've talked a little bit about just learning how to learn as a skill. Uh, and this feels like a very good example of that. So before we jump in a little more as in Stripe and banking as a service, we'd love to touch on that and kind of how you think that's informed the journey that you've had up to this point. Yeah, absolutely. So also just back to your uh, working backwards, it really is, has to do with the customer. When I say working backwards, the number one thing you have to think about is what value are you adding to the customer? Work backwards from that. Uh, and Stripe, I'm very proud of the fact that Stripe still has that mentality. Uh, we have users first is one of our big principles, which is basically customers first. And so in these hackathons too, it's what is the value? Who's going to use the app? Uh, and then work backwards from that and, and what the value is, right? So in terms of learning how to learn, all right, when you, when you, this was the first book we got at the bootcamp actually, when they said, Hey, you're going to have to learn a lot of things in software engineering to get in nine weeks to be a web developer. You should probably learn how to learn. Uh, and there's a lot of skills and a lot of research that have gone into that. I'd say that I've had to learn a lot, uh, from scratch, right? From coding, joining Stripe payments, financial services, a very compl complicated space and, uh, having to kind of get the, the roots of that down. The best way that I, have learned the, that works for me is get to an aha moment as fast as you can and then go backwards to fill in the, the gaps. And I know this is right in line with the, the top down thing. So I'll give you an example. Uh, for me, whenever I code something new and I'm, I'm starting a new uh, project, I will find some tutorial that and I'll just literally copy and paste that and, and make it work to do the thing it's supposed to do in a very high level. So get to the hello world is how we describe it in, in software, where I'm now very excited because I just didn't code any, I copied and pasted, but it, the app works and I'm seeing it kind of uh, in action. Now I'm really excited to learn all the different pieces, right? If you start from the bottom up and learn, okay, well, what is what is every foundational element to, to this topic? And then work your way all the way up uh, as usually how school works is you may get bored on the way. You may not really see what it is that you're you're trying to learn in the first place, right? So I'd say same thing, work backwards, try to get to that moment of, wow, I just got a moment of delight. I, I saw the value of if I learned this fully, what it could be like. And then now you're motivated to go learn each of the different pieces. It, it reminds me very much of a, the language immersion versus starting from, from scratch. Sometimes you just got to get dropped in on the deep end and, and that's when you have your kind of enjoyment and, and everything gets sparked. Yeah. And that, you know, even with Stripe, Stripe again, payments is a very complicated space. And so what I did the first day I got into Stripe was I just used the APIs and just built uh, like a fake marketplace that our users would be building to understand what are APIs, what are the different mechanics of liability, all the risk uh, elements involved. And after doing that, then I got excited. Okay, well, hey, risk and uh, compliance, all this stuff is really important because I actually have to use it in building the product. Now I'm going to go learn. I'm going to ask people. I know what kind of questions I have right now off the bat uh, and then fill in the gaps that way. Awesome. And that's a fantastic transition to actually talking about what you're doing now at Stripe and banking as a service. So I've been, and I'm sure many of our users are, huge admirer of Stripe. Um, I think since listening to Patrick Carlson on the Tom Ferriss podcast many, many years ago, I'd love to hear about how joining Stripe, maybe you know the most established fintech at this point, has been 
after your time in kind of the startup ecosystem and kind of what joining, you know, a later stage company has felt? Yeah, so I also listen to that podcast. Uh, I'm Tim Ferriss by Patrick, and uh, yeah, it made a big impact uh, on me as well. I see Stripe as an infrastructure provider, right? And when I built our own fintech startup, we had to build on infrastructure, including Stripe, including all these other kind of payment providers and to do accounting. And what's exciting about Stripe is now being on the infrastructure side, we can create almost horizontally the Lego pieces and the elements to allow anybody to create a Sway Finance, to create all these incredible products. We don't have to be the experts. Uh, we don't claim to be or even want to be the experts on each of these domains, but we want to be the experts on how do we make these pieces so that it's as easy as possible for entrepreneurs to put them together in very creative ways to, to build what they want. Uh, at Sway, we were doing an accounting product and we really wanted to issue a debit card as part of it uh, to make the experience better, to automatically categorize transactions. And at the time, six years ago, there just weren't any banking service providers. It wasn't even a, a phrase, honestly, back then. And uh, there was very few options. We tried going to a bank directly and they laughed us out of the room as being two founders. Uh, they said it'll take a year and you know a million dollars in, in legal fees to even get a debit card out with them. And so that really hit me as I don't want anyone to feel this way again. Like I don't want any founder to feel disempowered because they are just two people in a dorm room or you know have an idea, have a passion, but don't have the infrastructure to get it solved. And so that's what we're building at Stripe across an entire suite. And I specifically work on the banking as a service piece. And Stripe has been very vocal about its mission to grow the GDP of the internet. So how do you think this banking as a service suite fits in alongside other Stripe business units like Stripe Capital, the lending arm, like Atlas, the incorporation? Yeah, I, let me just break down what banking services, the way we think about it, because I don't know, it, people take it for granted, the phrase comes up a lot now and it's used in different ways. So the way we think about it is, what are the capabilities that banks and financial institutions can do for their customers? And can we allow startups and other businesses to also do those capabilities by partnering with these bank partners, right? So for example, when I think of what a bank can do, very high level simplification is they can create financial accounts for their customers, they can issue cards, uh, they can lend money. And so these are the products in our suite that allow entrepreneurs to do the same thing using these capabilities, right? So creating accounts, we have Stripe Treasury that allows you, if you wanted to start a company, you can create financial accounts for your customers. Stripe Issuing allows you to issue cards to your customers, which would have solved uh, what, what I needed back at Sway. Uh, and then Capital Platforms allows you to, as a platform, lend compliantly to your customers, right? That's our suite of banking and service products. Uh, Stripe has a lot of other products. Uh, we started in payments. That's obviously what we're known for. And so we have things like Stripe Radar, which is uh, around fraud management for the payments business, the checkout, which makes it really easy to put a checkout page. So I would put bucket all of those into our payments uh, ecosystem, which is much more, very mature, very uh, established. And then banking services uh, a bit newer. And it's a very exciting space. There's a, a lot of activity going on in it. Uh, we are giving very powerful Lego blocks. And so that comes with its own its own strategy of how do we handle that and give that away to to startups uh, and make sure that we do it properly. So is it fair to describe uh, Stripe's banking service as the AWS of fintech? And if it is, what's the second sentence description that that qualifies? Yeah, well, speaking of X for Y, being a very complicated uh, way to describe anything, I, AWS for fintech sounds great. That could mean a lot of different things. AWS as uh, we, we think of how we're like AWS is 
we are not opinionated necessarily on what the end use case or the application, what, what industry you're going after. We're creating horizontally the pieces to support whatever founders have in mind, right? So that's how I would put it that way. I actually think, I thought about this a lot. I feel like Twilio for, for FinTech is, a, is, is also a really good way to describe it. If you think of Twilio, they have partnered with telecom companies and telecom as a service where they're allowing now you as a developer to send text messages, to make calls, do, do what originally you needed a partnership with telecom companies to do. And banking as a service, very similar. We partner with the banks. We handle the compliance. We handle a lot for you and then expose as an API for you to do what previously you had to partner with the bank directly to do. And so there's, there's a lot of different ways to describe it, but yeah, AWS, Twilio, effectively infrastructure that allows uh, companies to build on top of us. And Stripe is a, you know, a very established player in the payments industry. I'd love to hear how you think the banking as a service support they can provide to its customers compares to other, you know, perhaps competitors in the space that are also building out their kind of banking as a service capability. Yeah, so I can't speak obviously to what the other providers are doing, but the way we think about it at Stripe is, and again with the AWS analogy, uh, we have a lot of different products, and banking as a service is that suite of three products I just described work really well with the rest of our our stack. Uh, that is one of the the big ask that a lot of these founders have is I want to use you to uh, issue a card and open financial accounts. So basically the fintech piece, but actually now. My my customers are asking for more. So I'll give an example. There's a company called Ambrook, uh, which I'm which I'm really excited about. They're building on Stripe Banking as a service, and they are building a financial operating system for farmers. And the founder Mackenzie, she's a daughter of a uh, of a farm family, and she has a lot of passion around this. And started off with using us to issue a debit card uh, or issue a card and make it a financial account for farmers. Learn that actually what farmers in addition to that want is bookkeeping. Uh, so they're going backwards from what we did this way. Uh, they want bookkeeping. They want the ability for Ambrook to go automatically uh, apply for grants on their behalf. And so now Ambrook charges a software as a service fee, a SaaS fee on top of that. And so, well, because Stripe definitely has payments built in, they were very easily able to add Stripe billing, uh, Stripe tax, all the different pieces of payments in addition to the BAS suite. So. That's what the power of having all these products in one place allows them to do. I'd say the other element of this is we've, from the beginning, from day one, 12 years ago, Stripe started by two developers, very, very passionate about treating the APIs as a product, meaning thinking about the developer experience. What is the user experience? What are the documentation we have? We think a lot about how do we make the documentation very clear so that it's very simple and easy for a company to build on top, right? Banking as a service is also a suite of APIs. And so when we approach it, we use exactly the same type of philosophy. We know developers are the end users of these products. We know that it can get very complicated in fintech. And so we we invest a lot in the same documentation and in APIs and in creating it as a product, uh, which I think is very, very helpful for founders. And then, of course, compliance is, is, is on everyone's mind. Uh, Stripe from 12 years ago, I've been working with bank partners. And so handling that compliance and handling all those other non-coding elements, we have a lot of experience doing that. And again, we've been doing it for over a decade. And so that plays a huge role here in, in helping our founders make sure they're on a stable foundation. There are a couple of things I'd love to pick out from there. One, I believe you hosted an interview with a few uh, of the clients of Banking as a Service, which I've taken a look at. It's very good for all our readers, for our listeners. Um, secondly, 
on the kind of developer mindset, I've heard rumors that the Carlson still will poke around the code and, and leave comments on various Stripe things. Now, obviously, if it's private, I won't ask you to say, but uh, I'd, I'd love to hear if that's true or if that, that mindset is still very pervasive through kind of everything that Stripe does. Yeah, that's uh, I had heard legends about that as well. Uh, I, I can't say it's true or not. I, I can't say is they are still to this day very uh, involved with from a product sense, from how it's implemented, from having opinions on what the user experience could look like. How do we think about the loop of learning uh, in product development? They're very, very kind of uh, involved in that. And it's actually pretty inspiring. You, you would think as a founder, once you get to a larger size, that maybe it's hard for you to, or maybe the, you know, those executives are only focused on the big picture items on on the business and how we guide it. And uh, I'm always pleasantly surprised at how much they are very passionate about the developer experience, about the user experience for us. Uh, and again, they are developers themselves. I, I'm sure they can't help but poke around or, or help but uh, have thoughts. And as an engineer, you just get very excited and, and kind of geek out on on these concepts. I do too. I, I look around the code base of Stripe, way more complicated than something that I could build on my own. But it's uh, it's really cool to see that. Wow, this is built by engineers. Uh, yeah, it's really it's a really cool experience. I, I, my curiosity got the better of me. I had to ask. Um, embedded finance obviously has been a really big topic in fintech for a while. I think look at A16Z's mantra of like every company will be a fintech company. So I know we've talked about kind of one example, but I'd love to hear what are some of the most interesting applications of embedded finance you've seen since you started at Stripe? Yeah, that's a great question. It is very exciting. Like I said, we build the pieces and, and very creative entrepreneurs uh, find ways to use them to solve really important problems, right? Uh, embedded finance, also, same thing, uh, banking as a service, sometimes these get interchanged. What we imply is that you can now embed financial products into your into your product, like issuing card, opening an account. And so what, what have folks done? I mentioned Ambrook, where they started with being this kind of tailored financial home for farmers, uh, and then now are doing more and more of a stack for farmers to become the overall operating system, the back office system for farmers, right? which is really exciting. So they used these embedded finance products as a wedge uh, to solve these problems, and then and then now are are doing a lot more for the customer base. Uh, there's a, there's a bunch of amazing startups that I'm really passionate about. They're they're solving these really incredible problems. There's another company called Carrot uh, who's building on us. They are making a card for creators, and so Andrew, you might want one too at some point. Uh, they uh, podcast hosts, YouTube stars. They've kind of seen that this is a big up and coming industry, and they don't have banks. They don't really know how to cater them. How do you underwrite them? How do you build products for them? And so Carrot is doing that. And these two founders are extremely passionate. It's kind of contagious uh, about helping creators and, and that the world is going this direction. And so started off with uh, using Stripe issuing to to create these products for the, the card for the creators. And then now are also thinking, what else can we do for them? Right. And so that's a really exciting piece. Uh, and there's another one when we think about platforms that embed financial services. So they've already started and then then add this in. There's a company called House Call Pro, which which I'm really really passionate about. They provide growth capital to service professionals like plumbers and electricians who want to purchase equipment, hire staff. Uh, they do the entire financial system for them, all powered on Stripe for these uh, kind of services professionals, right? And all three of these, one of the interesting pieces of that is that they don't. They are experts in how to solve for that customer base. And that customer base has very particular needs. And so it's really amazing to see that all of them are able to use 
some combination of the same APIs to solve for that. Uh, and I'm very excited about where this can go in the future. I think there's going to be a lot of tailored financial services products uh, and, and more use cases that we haven't even predicted yet. Yeah, I'm excited to see where some of this embedded finance goes. So um, at the time of recording, Money 2020 has just wrapped up. I know that you were there. Um, I unfortunately couldn't make it this year, but I'd love to hear from you just kind of from being in the big fintech community, being around everyone. Um, are there any topical trends that you've seen this year that you think that we should be paying a little more attention to? Yeah, yeah. Money 2020 was great just to kind of collaborate with a lot of the folks in the industry from banks to to uh, founders to banking and service providers like us and other vendors. Uh, one of the, the big themes, so I'd say there's three major ones. One of them is this kind of move towards going past the business model of just interchange. Uh, and so for, for folks who don't know, interchange is really the revenue mechanism that a lot of these card products have been using so far. Uh, that's their whole business model is uh, they get a piece of the, the fee that is charged on a, a card processing volume, right? So that had been the case. I found the theme of Money 2020 is that companies and investors also are realizing we really want other revenue streams as well. Um, interchange, we really need to get at a certain level of scale before that becomes uh, very viable. And so in addition to that, what else can you solve for? That's why I get all these examples of you start with the FinTech, but you also add all these other pieces. Maybe there's a SaaS fee, maybe there's a different business model that you add, analytics software on top of the spend management, right? So that was one big theme that came up, uh, which is which is kind of uh, interesting to see, especially at Stripe, we get FinTech founders come to us and say, hey, we wanna start adding these other pieces as well. Uh, and so that was a big theme. Uh, I'd say that the other themes are lending credit that has always kind of been the paragon of fintech. Every fintech is really, I've seen it as, even since I was doing it, a, a race towards being able to lend better, right? Credit is something that powers a lot of businesses. Uh, how to underwrite home services professionals is, is very different than a general kind of FICO score. And so that is a very, very important kind of trend. And I, I feel that in 2023, that's going to be a big, big theme. Uh, and then, just around compliance, like we've seen a lot of stuff happening in the compliance space. Founders, it felt like it was eating your vegetables, like, hey, this is really important. Uh, now it's all of us are on the same page of, hey, okay, there's a reason that this is all important. It's kind of complicated. If you haven't been in the fintech industry, Stripe, we invest a lot in educating founders around this and, and kind of building this infrastructure for them to, uh, to be compliant as they grow, uh, which we spent a lot of time on. And so, that is something that I've kind of unsurprisingly seen as a, as a major piece of what's coming up. Amazing. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. So like, as we move into this closing section, I always love to ask. So if everything goes according to plan, how do you see Stripe's banking as a service business five years down the line? Honestly, if it goes according to plan, it's not, we don't want it to just be isolated. We want it to be part of this integrated Stripe platform, right? So what I, what I see is, that we now have these Lego pieces that founders can use. What else can they do with these in addition to the other products that we have to create a full solution? That's what yeah, I get really excited about. So how do you integrate these products together? You have these pieces. What is the what is the stack that you can come up with these, right? What are the, the different solutions you can come up with? And so I'm really excited about is that businesses now, every company can be a fintech company. Uh, it's available to them the same way everybody can text uh, in part of the product with Twilio or create servers as AWS, these tools are available to, to founders and they can do it compliantly. They can do it at scale. 
that is where we're building towards is how do we help companies scale? We've done it a few times uh, in our own customer base, and we want to set up startups that they can start with Stripe banking service and then scale all the way uh, without ever having to, to do anything differently. That's, that's where we see the most value uh, in banking service going forward. And on the topic of scaling startups, so you've been a founder, you've been an operator, you've been an engineer. What are some of the hard-earned learnings you'd like to share with some of our listeners um, who may be earlier along in their journey towards building a company, towards joining a fintech than you are today? Actually, I would say, ironically, the advice I'd give is uh, there's a really great essay by Paul Graham called Do Things That Don't Scale. I would actually, the best way to scale a business is to, at the beginning, not scale the business and really get to know your users, do things where you can iterate quickly, change the product uh, in ways that just wouldn't matter, do things manually uh, in order to figure out what is it that really works for our customers and then scale. Uh, the big mistake is trying to scale from the very beginning without making something people love uh, to begin with is where a lot of uh, a lot of mistakes can happen as a founder. It's very tempting to focus on those things, but at the end of the day, the hard work is how do you roll up your sleeves, talk to your users, be very humble about the fact that what you thought was a great product, they may not think so. And they're the ultimate judgment uh, of this and iterate towards a point where now you have something you can scale. That's the, the big learning I would give for founders. And finally, we love to ask every guest, um, what do you enjoy doing outside of work? You know, how do you relax and uh, keep yourself busy other than kind of obviously everything you're helping to build at Stripe? You know, I, I moved to New York a year ago and I started uh, exploring stand-up comedy uh, and being a, being a stand-up comic on the side just for fun. Uh, and so that's what I've been doing a lot in New York. And as you can imagine, it's a, there's a big stand-up scene out here. So watch a lot of shows. I've uh, been taking stand-up comedy classes, do some, been doing some open mics. Hopefully we'll have a kind of a big show coming up sometime in 2023. So that's something that I've, I've been doing a lot outside of work, which has been really exciting and had to learn something new from scratch. So it's been fun. I searched very vigorously to see if I could find one of your sketches uh, or any of your <laughs> online. Unfortunately, I couldn't. Um, I actually grew up right next to Hammersmith Apollo, which is a great venue in London. I love the set. So um, on that topic, I'd kind of love to hear what's your favorite stand-up set or perhaps bit and why? Ooh, I, you know, it's... I think of it more as uh, who are the comics I really like. I like Dave Chappelle. I like uh, Chris Rock. I love... I really like observational comedy, uh, which is a type of, hey, I noticed something while walking down the street, which I think is kind of funny that everyone probably walked across and didn't realize, and now I'm going to tell you about it. Those are those are the the kind of sets that I really enjoy, where I at the end of the set, I'm laughing, and I also think to myself, wow, that is so true. How did I not see that? Now, that, now I can't unsee it every time I uh, come across this uh, event, right? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's exact sets that, that I would point to, but more just styles of comedy. I really like that type. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld was, you know, considered one of the pioneers of this type of comedy, pointing out the absurdity in life, uh, in, in everyday life. Uh, I think that's the, that's the stuff I really enjoy. Wonderful to hear. And yeah, there's some, some great comics listed right there. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Ashwin. Um, we wish you and everyone at Stripe all the best with all the work you help doing to help build out the FinTech ecosystem. And we'd love to have you on again. That yeah, sounds good. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you love our show, please write a review or engage with us on social media. We greatly appreciate your support and it helps us spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our FinTech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium, 
at Wharton FinTech. There you'll be able to access interviews, articles, and much more analyzing all aspects of the FinTech industry. As always, a very special thank you to our editor, Rafael Austria. Until next time, your host, Andrew Janssens.